Welcome back, everybody. This is Eric and Matt, and this is Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit, your beacon of freedom and the American way of life. Tune in every Friday for a new episode as we dive into the world of liberty and what makes our country great. guys happy friday i hope everyone has had a great week and we are back with another llp episode i'm eric and we got matt here and we're going to dive into some uh really awesome subject today and you know we were throwing around this concept and we thought we'd sort of expand on it and see where this adventure takes us in this conversation uh the concept of america first right you would think that that's such a a common thing that people would just think that way, right? Like, wouldn't you want to put America first in everything, right? Whether it's the uh, political stage of the world, the world stage as a world superpower, as an economical power, uh, you know, wouldn't you want to put America first when it comes to, you know, um, the successful people that we've created and, and this wonderful economy that we've built and a really strong monetary system that we have. I mean, the dollar is pretty strong. Uh, well, in the, (laughs) In the last year or two, there's been a lot of hyperinflation with all of this uh, stimulus mess going on. But overall, the dollar's pretty solid. So, I mean, there's a lot of things to like about America. And why wouldn't society want to put America first? We'll dive into some of these uh, instances. And uh, we are going to get down uh, the rabbit hole on quite a few different subjects. Before we get too far in today's episode, I'd like to give a thanks to uh, the show's patron sponsor, WeTheProcessor.com. Uh, they are a staunchly pro-freedom and pro-2A uh, card processor. No monthly fees, low rates. You don't ever have to worry about being terminated or canceled by your current processor for what you sell. Check them out at WeTheProcessor.com. So America First as a, I would say, even like a quasi-ideology um, is something that America has failed to adopt, really. You hear, you do hear about it. I I believe in it, and I'll tell you, America is one of the only countries that doesn't follow this ideology. So if you go to uh, any other country, as a, let's just say as an American, I go visit X country and I want to buy property there, you can't. Only citizens can buy property uh, in that country. And that's set up so that their own citizenry can't be pushed out of the country based on land purchases or home purchases. Um, America... Well, let anybody buy the property. You can come in from another country. You don't have to be a citizen. You can buy the you can buy the property, um, and that's just one thing. When I believe, like America first as a doctrine slash ideology, would really help put America back to where it was twenty or thirty years ago, immigration wise. Because what you're starting to see now is just a ton of uh, immigration immigration come in, albeit illegal, because there's nothing wrong with legal immigration. It's the illegal immigration that is kind of tipping the scale in the opposite direction because rules and laws that were put in place to help legal immigrants um, are unfortunately benefiting illegal immigrants because there was never really, it was never really designed to allow that much to come into the country. At one time. You know, it's pretty random how you might look at it or approach this situation. I mean, I don't necessarily care who you voted for or who you support in terms of like, let's look at the presidency, for instance. All right. The 2020 presidential election. Let's just use this as an example. Right. Um, It is a known fact that lots of folks in the, you know, Latino community 
uh, obviously voted for Trump. Like he had a huge, uh, you know, influx of people that supported him in the Latin American communities, uh, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So the same can be said also for other types of demographics like black communities and just the Asian communities in general. Lots more of those types of folks supported Trump in the 2020 presidential election. Now, whether or not you agree with him or like him or not, or whether or not you even voted for him is irrelevant. It doesn't change the fact that those are the facts, that he did have a huge upturn of people within those uh, demographics voting for him. So where a lot of the folks that are more politically minded – uh, have a problem with illegal immigration is because they assume, and rightly so, probably in many cases, but they correctly assume that because Democrats push for extremely lax immigration policies, that they're going to get a bit of a free pass, uh, a free pass, uh, you know, in terms of the societal issues surrounding immigration, and that the Democrats think, well, by being loose on immigration, we're going to win this voter. So when they do become a citizen through whatever means. Uh, you know, we're going to hand out all kind of freebies to them and subsidies, and we're going to have all of these taxpayer subsidized programs that make them want to come here. And then when they get a chance to vote, uh, and of course they want to, you know, make the voting requirements extremely lax so that uh, that pool of people is much larger for them, right? Uh, so when they vote, they assume, oh, well, someone's going to vote Democrat because we're the ones that allow the policy to be liquid enough to get them here in a much shadier way than a legal immigrant had to go through uh, to get here. I'm not saying I have a problem with immigration, but that there is a process to how someone immigrates to this country and very specific protocol. And in many cases, a very long and, uh, you know, arduous process. Expensive as well. Yeah, an expensive process to go through the vetting process and all the civics lessons and everything you have to do uh, to assimilate to the United States as a citizen. So uh, what we get into with the differences of of people's opinions is that, yes, there are a lot of people that view life through a political lens that say, hey, well, we see a clear and concise political play occurring in front of us where we've got the Democrats who want really, um, you know, lax immigration laws. And now you see this huge influx of immigration. So someone who's politically minded is going to say, well, it has the appearance that they're importing voters, that they are bringing in people that they are trying to convince in one way or the other through all these programs to get to vote for them. Uh, and there is a serious issue with that because you're essentially artificially changing the demographics of the United States of America, right? Like, it's not to say that this one group of people or this culture should have more or less sway than anyone else, but the point is, America is what America is. And if you artificially uh, infuse a giant group of people into a socio-economical bubble that exists as it is, you're, you're adding something else to the mix that is artificially there. You know, like, and the reasons that it's there are not, you know what I mean? Like, well, look at, look at who they're accepting in at the border. So we're having upwards of 25,000 immigrants come in through, this, through the southern border. I mean, it's astronomical. The numbers are through the roof. But look at what they're doing. So they're turn. They are the, when you hear them talk. Um, they're saying, "Hey, we're turning away uh, immigrants, adults, but unaccompanied minors get to stay." Why are they? Why are they doing that? And this is just me kind of spitballing a conspiracy theory because they're young. They're not. They're going to be a voting age in ten years. But that's ten years for them to get into the U.S. system. And they're they. 
in effect, are importing voters. They're allowing only those that uh, they can groom to be on to, to vote for them. They're, they give them 10 years of grooming. If you groom anybody for 10 years, they're going to vote the way you want them to vote by giving them, you know, free stuff and all that. So in essence, you are correct. Um, that's exactly, in my opinion, what's going on. And unfortunately, um, it's being allowed to, to happen right in front of our eyes. You know, every day, like I stay up to date. I'm watching the press releases every day. Texas puts out their, the sheriff puts out his own press release on numbers that are coming across the border. Um, what's going on from that perspective? Because you can watch the the White House press releases. They do it every day. You know, Sat, Jen Psaki comes out and she gives you the spiel. And I think yesterday they had Fauci on. And they had a, I mean, it's a daily thing. It kind of lets you stay up to date. Even though, you know, I'm, I don't agree with the policies, you still have to watch it. It's like when you're a right-leaning media company, you the, you watch more left-leaning content to see what their side is and see what their their point of view is. And isn't isn't it like so terrible that you have to approach media from this standpoint of oh this person's left wing, this person's right wing. Oh, I know that if I pay closer attention to that person that they're obviously towing some very strict and concise narrative that they're trying to, you know, have some divisive victory over people or decisive victory. And then on this end it's like all right the other group of people, let's just say for the you know purposes of this argument, someone on the right, they only exist to go, hey, we have to fight against all the bad things that these people are doing. Like after a while, at what point in your society do you decide maybe these people are the bad people, right? Like if someone has a lot of political and unpopular opinions uh, that are out there and they're in society and it's usually coming from one side of the political aisle – or from one political ideology that just seems to always, you know, surface its head when certain people are in office. Let's just put it that way. Uh, again, I don't care what you believe or who you voted for, uh, but you do have to look at what they do, what they say. What they say doesn't really have a lot to do with anything. Politicians say all kinds of lies and bullcrap. Look at what they do. Look at what they support. Look at what they publicly support, and then look at like what they do on the back end, like the things they actually do versus what they say. And I think by the time the cookie crumbles and you begin to look at all the tiny, fine, uh, the fine, tiny edges uh, throughout the surface of the cookie under a microscope, uh, you begin to see all the tiny cracks in their lies and their argument. And then you begin to go, you know, maybe these people aren't good people, right? Like if you begin to see all of these, you know, contradictory things that are extremely um, hypocritical, start to come out in, in relation to these politicians and what they support and the kind of programs they support. Not to mention, you look at the bills they try to pass and all the pork that gets added into it uh, to try to uh, you know pad the pocket of people that they are politically connected with. In many cases, um, you know, these are companies where these politicians own, you know, shares in like, you know, pharmaceutical companies, they own shares in uh, the oil industry and they and they they place their eggs in all of the baskets that they intend to fill up with contracts and to fill up with uh, that, you know, pork that gets put into all these bills. And they view the political stratum from more of a perspective of, hey, how can I take advantage of a system that's clearly here and make myself mega wealthy in the process and make my constituent, you know, pander to my constituency and get them to vote tons of money uh, or, you know, 
send tons of money my way to support my campaigns and things. So how do I do that? Like, how do I have uh, the back end capability to be a capitalist? But then on on the way the left approaches it, oh, well, from a social aspect, I'm I'm super, you know, oh, I'm woke and I'm this and I'm that. And, oh, you should trust me. I'm one of you and all of that. But I'm really on the back end, it's yeah. all about the contracts and the money and the pocket padding and the lobbying groups and all of this stuff. So there's I mean, there's a lot of small moving parts and a lot of backroom deals that take place, especially in politics. Um but when you start looking at the minutia of it, and if, you, and if you break it down, like, what is America first? America first, you know, in a nutshell, is just making sure that you're taking care of your of the countrymen first versus uh, really giving stuff away to illegal immigrants. Meaning, right. so if you have 25,000, you know, illegal immigrants crossing upwards of 25,000 a day, all of those, uh, if the legislation goes through, every single one of those are going to be automatically entered into a uh, welfare system, into a social system for health care, automatically registered to vote. Like this is all legislation that they're trying to push through for unaccompanied minors. Um, I mean, if you look at America as a whole, if you did the same thing for the entire ho- uh, homeless population, you would have solved homelessness. We've spent more money in giving. We've spent more money in COVID aid than we've taken in in taxes. America as a country only brings in four point five trillion dollars a year. So the first round of stimulus was nineteen trillion dollars. Yeah, almost four times. And that's what we bring in. And that's gross. That's not including the actual, that's gross income from taxes, federal taxes. That's not including the payment for the employees or any type of, you know, earmarks or black ops, whatever it is. Oh yeah. Black programs. Yeah. None of that is, is that's gross. So we've. And I mean, black programs as in, you know, the, the dark money that goes into black projects is what I mean mean to say. So, I mean, if, if you start looking at, we're, literally outspending ourselves by 4x and we're already starting to spend money that we don't have we it's not sustainable and most of this is going to outside country other countries i mean pakistan getting money for agenda studies i mean it does make yeah. you wonder like who they really work for and who they're really trying to help. I mean, when all this tax money goes overseas and all these pet projects and all of these, you know, these little strange things that get propped up. I mean, you look at the whole situation that, you know, the media completely stopped talking about the Ukraine dealings with Hunter Biden and Joe Biden and all of that stuff that was going on, right? Oh yeah, 10% for the big guy, right? So mm-hmm. There's all of this abuse of tr- public trust that occurs. Oh, we're going to put this politician on this special board of directors on this uh, company's roster, and it's going to be a paid position. And like all of these little, you know, just back alley dealing, like insider trading type of stuff. And that is where a lot of this stuff comes into play, too. You know, if Washington knows they're about to put out some big press release talking about, uh, oh, Corona this or Corona that, or oh, this is about the va- vaccine or this is about this or that, right? All these politicians know that those announcements are going to be made. And, and do you think for one second that they don't know it's happening a few days in advance and that they don't go and buy stock 
in like pharmaceutical companies and they buy stock in, you know, if they know that a big, you know, military showdown's about to happen, do you think for one second that those guys don't go in on the back end? And buy stock in, you know, freaking Boeing and all the uh, giant military industrial process, or that the members of Congress maybe didn't get a special uh, priced stock option with Facebook over the whole fiasco. Look how much money Facebook donated to the Democrats' campaign. They were the largest donor of funds to the Democratic uh, campaigns across the country in 2020, even more so than Boeing, Kellogg Brown and Root. Uh, you know, you name it, all the big military industrial contractors that you normally expect as being a fixture in American uh, military industrial might, which you could see where from a lobbying standpoint, it would be important for them to define who they support so that, all right, yeah, the idea is I scratch your back, help you get in office. And then when you're in office, you will push through policy uh, that benefits my company. And you will also make sure that my company receives contracts in exchange for our help. Now, they can't say that's what it is, but that's what it is, right? So what did Facebook buy is the, the question that you have to ask yourself. What did the $19 billion or whatever that they spent on Democrats in 2020, what did that buy Facebook? How many people that serve in Congress own stock in Google, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, whatever? You know, you have to wonder. And then you see all the the difference in political dissent, right? People that don't agree, right? This attack on conservatives, this censorship movement that is occurring. Is that America first? Yeah, Section 230 might give you the ability to censor people on your platform. You might have the ability to do that, the legal ability. Do you have the moral ability? Yeah. Do you have the moral obligation? Or is America first? Who are you? Who are you catering to? That's the giant question you have to ask yourself with this stuff is, is America really first? Who puts America first? It's certainly not the, the establishment. Well, I'll tell you, whether you agree with him or you don't, Trump was uh, definitely an America first uh, president. And I'll, I'll just use an example of that is the president, the current president of El Salvador, I uh, believe his name is President Bukel. Uh, he was elected in 2019. When he was elected, he was the youngest democratically elected president uh, in the free world. Uh, he was like 37. So he was our age. Imagine being that young and running an entire country. El Salvador, while it's not, you know, first tier, um, it, it's still a, an industrial com uh, country. And, you know, he was getting interviewed by Sky News out of uh, the UK. Uh, very, very uh, anti-Trump. You know, and this is like during the during uh, the election. And you'll see some really hardline questions aimed at him. And we might link it because it's, it's a great interview. It's about 45 minutes. It was very profound to see another president sit down and have a conversation. And they, they asked him very specific questions. And I'll... I'll it resonated with me because the interviewer, she asked him, were you angry at President Trump for cutting off the foreign aid to your country? So we pay foreign aid to tons of countries to help them grow what we think is growing, almost like a, world, uh, a worldwide uh, welfare program. We give them money to help them maintain their infrastructure. And he looked at her 
And he said, no, I'm not mad. How can, I've never met him, but how can I be mad? That's his money. It's his country's money. And he can decide to do with it what he wants. And if he wants to not pay us the foreign aid, then we have, we have to find something out or we have to figure something out. And then he said it actually helped us because when he took away the free foreign aid, we had private in, U.S. private industry step in and give us loans to build infrastructure that wasn't attached to anything. It was attached to a capitalist uh, nature. So they had a vested interest in that country to help help it grow, not just giving out free money. So he looked at the reporter and said, you know, it helped us. We took a, we took a bunch of uh, venture capital from these companies. We built power plants. We built all types of in, in industry. And now we're growing as a country. I mean, once you invest in the infrastructure, uh, the rest of uh, the part of a, of a first world you know, society uh, definitely comes on the heels of yeah. that. I mean, you've got to have infrastructure. You know, you've got to have running water. You've got to have electricity and roads. And you've got to have runways for, you know, stuff to get in and out. I mean, depending on where you are. I mean, obviously, certain times, you know, uh, train tracks and a train system is probably a better option. Uh, but, yes, that's absolutely true, right? You've got to invest in the infrastructure of your country so that you build something upon which to build more on. There has to be a foundation mm -hmm. uh, for success to occur. Well, let me add on to that because the next question was very profound, and I'll make it quick. She had, there was a father and daughter that tried to uh, cross the river Rio Grande from Mexico, and they died. They drowned, a father and daughter. And it's, it's sad. It's tragic. And she said, Are you, do you think that is President Trump's fault? And I'm, I'm, I'm not singling out Trump, but that was the exact question. Do you think it was President Trump's fault that these, this father and daughter died trying to get into the U.S.? And he, and he blatantly looked at her and said, no, it's my fault. It's our country's fault. Because our country, you know, think about it. My country is so bad that they decided that traveling between four, walking between four countries and risking their life to get into America was better than living in El Salvador. To, to hear somebody, a president, not deflect and take 100% accountability, it was like sobering. I Because I, you're so used to the U.S political climate of them deflecting and and talking in circles and doing everything they can to not answer the question it blew me away you is it sobering or is it is it inspiring both i mean you know yes it's, it's a sobering fact that someone is is willing to admit that but i also think this should be an eye-opening experience for a lot of people to realize how good america is and this is such an awesome place to live and we have so many opportunities and so many unique environments and, um, you know, even just the, uh, you know, the climate and the geographical uh, situation of the United States. I mean, there are so many different places you can visit that are natural wonders in our in our world. I mean, the United States is awesome. I love this country. I, I, I totally am head over heels with it. I'd never want to leave my country. Right. But people tend to really. I believe, undervalue just how good we have it, especially if someone was born here. It's easy to take for granted that there are people right now that are willing to die to try to get here. And we as a country do probably, I believe, have the responsibility to recognize when someone wants to come here that bad and, of course, open up the ability for them to go through the legal channels uh, to do so, so they don't have to, you know, swim through a river and potentially drown. You know, no one wants to see that. That's not a good look for anybody. Just like the kids in cages isn't a good look, right? Right. Oh, uh, 
well, we, we don't call them that. Well, yeah, but you called them that when Trump was trying to run for president in 2020. You called them that then, though. All right, so I want to mention a quick article here. Um, now, this was posted by the New York Post, and um, I'm not going to read a whole lot of the article, but I will read the uh, the title of the article, okay? This is literally just from a couple of days ago. Uh, this was April 13th, which was, yeah, that uh, was just, 14th. yeah, that was just yesterday, okay? Yep. So this article's from yesterday. A CNN staffer boasts to Project Veritas that the network peddled anti-gun prop, or I'm sorry, anti-Trump propaganda. Yeah, they got busted out so, on that one. So, yeah, CNN got called out, and you went to the guy's LinkedIn, gone. He, de- yep. he deleted his LinkedIn, and there's all kind of like people at... Uh, CNN that are like deleting their LinkedIn pages and they're disabling their Twitter accounts and things like this. So if there's nothing to hide and there's nothing within those professional circles that you don't want people to know, that's not a good look, right? Like, okay, if someone came out and accused you of something, let's just say some crime or whatever, say you were accused of a crime. If you are innocent, would you pull down all your social media and you know, sell your house and move somewhere or move in the middle of the night or try to run away and hide? Like, no, you'd be like, I'm innocent. What are you talking about? I don't care. Yeah, there's my social media profile. There's this, there's that. So when a group of people is so outraged and upset at the news getting out that this person, you know, basically broke, uh, you know, the story on, and then they hide from it, that should be pretty telling right there. That should tell you that they're not honest. The things that they do, they don't want to do in the public. We look at the recent um, confirmation, not confirmation, but the nomination of uh, David Chipman uh, as being the, uh, they want to nominate him as the new director for the ATF. What did Chipman do? He went and disabled his Twitter feed so nobody can go back and look through his tweets. And people that have been following him for years have come out and blown the whistle and said that Chipman is deleting thousands of tweets. Oh, yeah. What were those tweets about? Okay, did they have to do with your time at the Giffords Foundation? Did they have to ha- do with your time as an anti-gun, uh, you know, activist, right? A known anti-gun activist working for a known anti-gun organization. Th- th- they're wanting to pitch that guy as taken over at the ATF in a position that has unlimited power. At, well, the perceived unlimited power to regulate uh, things under the NFA or anything in between to interpret the law? You want to put the worst anti-gunner you can find in that position? Is that America first? That's the fox guarding the hen house. It is. So I think that what that appointment for Chipman was a lapse in judgment on their part. Because uh, I don't... Oh, they knew what they were Well, doing. I don't think they... And I think this was on the press conference yesterday. Um, they released all of the confirmations except for him. And there was a couple of reporters that asked the Saki about that particular person. And then it was the basic, the same runaround, just talking in circles, but they, they left him off the list. So that lets me know that our voices are being heard with the outrage of like, Hey, um, you know, we don't want this guy. So hopefully they don't, they don't put him in there. I'm going to look and see yeah, if there's any Go for there. it. But as far as the, him cleaning house, he disabled his, his Twitter feed. He's cleaning house. But this is a guy that uh, he worked for Giffords. He's anti-gun through and through, yet he's, he is a, quote, uh, gun guy because he posed and he took some uh, pretty heinous pictures at the Waco uh, incident posing 
with the charred dead bodies of the Branch Davidian uh, guys and gals out there. But he children. Can, yeah, and children. He can take those pictures and be a tough guy, but yet he don't want guns for anybody else. He's involved in uh, Ruby Ridge as well. Yeah. So yeah. definitely not the kind of guy you would consider to be the poster child of freedom, uh, especially when it comes to a you know, gun organization or, you know, a, I think that from a regulatory standpoint, uh, the ATF is is not really needed uh, in this he, modern society. He, he is very much a guns for me, but not for the type of character. Yeah, he's a self-proclaimed 97 percenter. So that yeah. should tell you everything that here. you need to know right there. <laughs> so if we go to Google and we type in David Chipman confirmation, the most recent uh, news anywhere is as of seven days ago. So you know dang well that if the Senate even stood a single chance of confirming this guy, it would be plastered all over a 24-7 news cycle. Uh, I read somewhere, I don't have it in front of me, and I don't have time to pull it up, but I did read somewhere um, that the noise on the floor in the Senate is that there's not a lot of support for confirming this guy. Uh, Even some Democrats are like, yeah, that's a little bit too crazy for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, namely, Joe Manchin and a few people close to Manchin. Um, there was that senator out in Arizona. I don't remember her name. I believe she's a female. But she also, I believe, is kind of like, yeah, that's a little little too extreme for us. Yeah. That's one of those things where the ATF, while as unnecessary as it is, is, I believe, to my knowledge, the only organization, governmental organization, that can interpret things however they want. You can send, they can take something, they can interpret it and enforce it however they see fit. I don't know any other uh, sworn, they they are considered sworn law enforcement officers. Uh, I don't, federal or not, they can't just, like FBI has a very specific rule set that, you know, all of the alphabet boys have a very specific mission. They can literally just interpret a letter one way and like bump stocks or uh, braces. They can say, well, this one's fine. And then the next day decide, you know what? We changed our mind. There's no other organization that can do that and put you in prison for it. Well, and you know, Chad and I, um, you know, did an entire gun gripe episode about this. That was almost an hour long. So I won't get um, too much into the subject on this particular podcast. Uh, mm-hmm. Some of you are watching here on YouTube as well. Um, but I would like to mention though, in light of that, is that the bump stock thing getting thrown out is pretty important, right? Because it establishes clearly that Congress makes laws, mm-hmm. bureaucratic agencies do not. Uh, they do. They do not get to make the law, and you can't interpret the. You basically what it proved is that you can't change your interpretation of the law, especially you. There's only one way that you can interpret the law, and it's what, the way the law is written. You can't just selectively interpret it. Well, I read it this way, therefore, uh, this, 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 and this, we're not going to allow because we hate that. It doesn't allow bias to be presented into the situation. So but even long- with Biden's executive actions that he recently unveiled, which if you listen to Chad and I's video on it or watch it over on YouTube on the Gun Gripe episode, we go into every single detail. There were six executive actions uh, passed down. We're not going to get into those here. But when you look at those executive actions, they actually just they don't have the weight of law, right? An interpretation is not a law, and that's what the bump stock ruling determined. But, but for the longest time, that's what they did without any oversight, uh, and that cost hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars, and the way that they were operating 
until they until um they determine that hey this is a unconstitutional interpretation of bump stocks but think about all the bump stocks that got thrown out from the companies that had them made all the employees that lost their jobs because for those years that they weren't able to be produced or sold all because uh, they were inter- it was interpreted by the ATF a certain way I mean, yes, it's amazing that due process, you know, finally saw the light of day and they were able to get an official ruling on it. But again, at what cost? At the cost of, you know, millions. So when we look at America first as a policy and or at least America first as an idea, right? You know, when we think we live here, we're happy and we're content and uh, we love the society that we've created and worked within and what we've we've all worked hard to work towards together. Uh, you know, beyond that as just a, a simple empty word, right? So how do we look at America first just from a standpoint of liberty and freedom, just uh, from a standpoint of its everyday citizenry, right? Well, so there's a few slippery slopes that one can impart, uh, you know, can try to step out on. And, and if you're not careful, you definitely slide off the cliff pretty quick. But, you know, I'm all for people, you know, immigrating here legally and doing it through the proper channels, and uh, I think a lot of us that live here, we want other Americans to be happy and free and to pursue uh, their own level and their own version of happiness. Absolutely, right? Uh, we want unfiltered freedom. We want people to be free to choose and to live their lives the way they want to. And, and I don't think, I think I speak for a lot of Americans when I say that I, I really just want my fellow citizens to be happy and live a life of dignity and freedom and personal responsibility and, and be happy, right? So, I would like to mention something um, about America first a little bit. This isn't necessarily related to that political ideology or that hot button topic, but I wanted to share something that popped up in my feed a couple of days ago uh, from Justice Clarence Thomas of the Supreme Court. Um, He weighed in on this Section 230 thing. So that's what um, I discussed a little bit earlier on in the video is that just because a company has the ability under Section 230 uh, to, you know, censor what they want and pull certain content down. They might have the legal ability, but do they have the moral authority? So Clarence Thomas actually weighed in on this recently, just a few days ago, and expressed his interest to have this thing looked at by the Supreme Court. And here's what Clarence uh, Thomas had to say. Let's hear it. Let's see. An opinion issued. This comes from CNET. I'm just going to sort of paraphrase here. An opinion issued by Clarence Thomas could spark more movement in the legal shield protecting social media companies. All right. Let's see. If the aim is to ensure that speech is not smothered, then the more glaring concern must uh, perforce to the dominant digital platforms themselves. So essentially, Clarence Thomas has come out and said that because, you know, essentially because social media platforms are such a large platform and used in such a community standard for communications, right, uh, the government uh, issues contracts through social media companies, they disseminate information through social media companies, most technically in people on this entire continent have at least some account somewhere on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, somewhere that if some official information got put out, they're going to receive that information, right? So that, you know, social media is very much a town square and very much should be Uh, you know, required to allow you to say what you want and to truly protect your First Amendment rights and such. So 
currently the way it's kind of set up, I mean, the first amendment, your first amendment rights can't be infringed on by the government. It doesn't say that an individual can't infringe on your first amendment rights. And that's where the section 230 comes in. It gives them the ability to censor people a little bit more readily and outright remove people that they disagree with. And that's a scary situation because again, there might be the legal ability to do it, but is the moral ability there? Does it exist? Is that an America first policy? Should a company who built their entire livelihood around the infrastructure of America, the constitution of America, the people in America now, Obviously, these you know social media companies are worldwide. We're not saying that they're only for the U.S., but they're based in the U.S. You yeah. live here. This mm-hmm. is your country. Your company is based out of the U.S. So, at, at a bare minimum, shouldn't you at least you know go by the standards under which you initially built your company based on? Right? H- has anybody ever taken the time to go read the mission statements for these social media companies? Their official mission statement that they say that they want for all of the people that utilize their platform and and what they're actually doing versus what their mission statement is. And you you ask me if that's if that's not false advertising. You know what I mean? At mm-hmm. what point are are they lying to themselves and lying to us about what their true intentions are with what they're trying to accomplish with these platforms? To use your data against you, to sell your data, to spy on you? Does the government contract that spying? Is there some financial chain between the government and contractors on the back end of the platform and then the owners of these companies receiving money through some black project that gets approved by Congress that puts in pork that gets put in the budgets and you're being paid to, you know, disseminate information about the people or collect information, which, you know, you look at this whole situation with Zuckerberg and the whole congressional uh, hearing and congressional uh, issues you know, there are a lot of people within our very own Congress that could not really even correctly articulate uh, detailed points about the way data is collected, about how the Internet even works or how social media works. Right. And that goes to show you how far behind the curve a lot of people are that are elected representatives as well. When I'm thinking to myself, oh, my gosh, you got to ask him this or that or like ask him a specific question. And they're asking the most mundane questions that give him so much room to kind of dance around the direct answer. You think that's by design? I think some of, the, I, I think some of that is by design. But I'll tell you who's pretty good is uh, Ted Cruz. I think he's out of out of everybody that has been and he heads a lot of those as well. Um, but his questions are pretty good. Um Especially when it comes to like Twitter, like he lit Jack Dorsey up. Uh, I think he's lit Zuckerberg up too, a couple of times, uh, just with failures to answer, answering in very like broad, you know, just open ended answers, or just refusing to answer at all, just saying, yeah. you know, I don't recall or I, I don't know, and not necessarily lying, but definitely not giving the whole end of the truth. I want to finish this article real yes. quick before we move on, so I'll just paraphrase this, okay? Uh, and this comes from the CNET article. Uh, that's in regard to the comments from Clarence Thomas, okay, the Supreme Court. Uh, Democrats argue that Section 230 prevents social media companies from doing more to moderate their platforms, such as taking down or limiting hate speech and or dis- disinformation about COVID. Uh, Republicans take a different view. They want the law repealed because of their perception that the Silicon Valley powerhouses are biased against the right and they work to censor conservatives like Trump while giving liberal politicians a free pass. And that is absolutely true. Twitter kicked Trump off of Instagram as soon as he lost the 2020 presidential uh, election. And then we look at this on the heels of the guy from CNN, the whistleblower at CNN, 
which honestly he didn't even, he might not have even meant to spill the beans. I don't know if it was a good Samaritan or whatever, but a hot mic caught the guy at CNN talking about, oh yeah, you know, we, uh, almost bragging. Oh yeah. You know, we had a part in trying to run a giant disinformation campaign against Trump so that he wouldn't get elected. And then Twitter downright bans you. So imagine, okay, if Twitter, if, if, um, Trump was going to run for reelection in 2024 to run for president again, how much harder do you think it's going to be for him to reach the masses and get support without a Twitter account? Yeah, it's rough. You know what I mean? So it's like they've already cre- created a situation where they've made it much, much harder for him to have chances to run again. And who who else are they going to do that to? Right. How well, many other people do they shadow ban on a regular basis? Well, I mean, af- after, you know, the next three years with Joe, I think there is going to be a full house of uh, people running in 2024. Well, I think the article is a little bit disingenuous mm-hmm. because it says their perception is that Silicon Valley is biased against the right. No, no, no. That's not perception. <laughs> That's reality. Yeah, it true. did happen. They banned Trump. They banned the president of the United States from Twitter. They, ban- they also banned Mike Lindell. Right. Yeah. So anyway, that's the gist of the article. I mean, there's more to it if you want to read it, but um, that's that was pretty that's pretty telling when you see Clarence Thomas being uh, on 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 board to go after 320 or, or I'm sorry, uh, Section 230 protections. Yeah, and and hopefully they make a lot more headway um, in enacting that because I mean you see a lot of I mean that takes an uh, a, a large amount of gall and intestinal fortitude to ban a sitting at the time sitting US president and that was his main means of of getting a message out there of communication i mean that's that's ballsy you know well especially when you look at twitter and you know there are accounts uh that are used you know over like what was it the uh the leader of iran or whatever making all kind of like comments that are you know like the way these comments are, are made from this guy, you know, you're kind of like, hey, that's like, you know, human rights violation. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and he's allowed to tweet that stuff out. But yet the president's banned from Twitter. Like, you yeah. know, what I mean, is that America first? I mean, I guess that's that's the giant question is like, what do you stand to gain by letting this guy say all these hateful things about certain ethnic groups on your platform? A, a dictate essentially like a, a religious dictators there. Yeah. But then the president of the United States isn't welcome on your platform. Like, do, do the optics of that not look a little screwed up to you? Or, like, you know what I mean? That, that, that is that America first? No, absolutely not. Or is it America first that you know Google uh, provides all of this search data to the U.S. but at the same time is uh, censoring China because they're one of the largest you know infrastructure internet in- infrastructure companies in China. And they are partnered with uh, lots of companies, also Tencent, but they actively censor the Chinese people. I mean, how can you do that? How can you be pro-freedom and wokeness in America and at the same time, the same company is censoring Tiananmen Square, censoring Hong Kong, censoring Uyghur, the Uyghur injustices? So it's like you're talking out of both sides of your mouth. Are you just in it for the money? If so, it just... Be honest. Just say, hey, we're, we are a company that only cares about profits and don't try to piggyback on this, uh, you know, woke wokeness. And there's certainly lots of situations where in the past, you know, Google has been uh, 
not really open about it, but they've been, you know, has some whistleblowers from inside the organization uh, mention like all the contracts that they have with the Chinese government. Mm -hmm. I mean, and we're talking everything from facial recognition uh, technology um, to, you know, being somewhat involved or at least involved in the base technologies uh, that revolve around uh, China's social credit system. Uh, that's one thing that actually China is trying to have a completely social-based credit system by 2020. So that was last year. I don't know what the progress is, but you know Google is on the forefront when it comes to data collection, when it comes to facial recognition software, and of course all of their algorithms and back-end drives and all of their uh, logistical support that they could provide for such a database Right. They would be the go to people to help integrate those technologies in order for China to take on uh, those types of goals within their society. So you have to ask yourself, it's like, OK, well, is Google only, you know, capturing the faces and profiles and setting setting up, um, you know, searchable profile algorithms for Chinese citizens or are they doing it for every single American walking around? And there's some alphabet agency here in the U.S. that's got some, you know, back-end access to be able to go, oh, well, we detected a microaggression in your facial features when you discussed XYZ. So, oh, well, we're going to put down, uh, you know, we're going to take away some points here from your social credit system. And like, maybe you're not actually privy to it and you know it exists, but they have you have a number that they associate with you that you don't even know about. And then that society's only going to, you know, you're, you're ever only going to make something to yourself that society lets you. Now, that might be far-fetched for the U.S., but I'm saying that the, the technology and the infrastructure is there for them to do it. So when you look at all of, you know, this money that, like Zuckerberg, paid into the 2020 presidential elections for the Democrats, billions of dollars, right? What are they buying? Are they buying, you know, the Supreme Court being able to look the other way on Section 230 and allow them to keep on censoring people? Are they allowing a tiny chipping of the block to keep occurring so that every single time there's a presidential election, they become better and better at censoring the people they disagree with or censoring um, the ideas that they don't like? Are, are, do we? Does it happen for the next two presidencies, the next three, the next four, the next 20 years? the next 30 years and each time they chip away a little bit more and they and they push a little bit harder so that eventually anytime you turn on social media the TV news whatever you're plastered with a 24/7 news cycle of, of about how you should hate the person they want you to hate the person they tell you to hate instead of presenting the facts and letting you decide for yourself they do your thinking for you that's the type of disturbing type of situation that comes from these strange relationships like that. The technology and the basis for it is there. The infrastructure is there. And that's what's so scary about it. How do you know what is going on on the back end with the lobbyists that you're not ever going to hear about? And is that an America first policy? And I think the answer is freaking no. Heck no. Absolutely not. And a, a majority of that comes from what I think is two things. One is... With the with the unaccompanied minors being adopted into the U.S., they're catch and release. They they're letting them go. Um, when they grow up, they didn't have to earn the citizenship. You know, my family immigrated here um, from Korea. My mom came from a war torn South Korea. But you got to think the Korean War ended in fifty three. Uh, she was born um, not long after that, and you know that that like. 
completely gutted. Country was bombed out, firebombed. It was. It looked like you know a modern day war torn country. Um, very very hard upbringing, very hard to survive. So you immigrate, you come to the U.S. sponsored by a Christian family. So she came over and made a life for herself. Um, she had to earn the U.S. citizenship. It was like yes, she was sponsored to come over um, as a um, resident alien or green card holder, she still had to go through that process of earning the U.S. citizenship, proving that you uh, that you want it. That's taking the test, learning uh, the language, um, learning the Pledge of Allegiance, reciting the Pledge of Allegiance, learning American history. Part of that testing process is basic American history. It's nothing crazy, just presidents, who was the first president, stuff like that. Um, and that's why we kind of got away from that. So when you used to see people post pictures, and you actually still see it on Instagram, people are like, ah, today I became a U.S. citizen, and they're holding that little little American flag uh, and the certificate. They're proud because they went through a process that is somewhat difficult if you're not a native English speaker, if, you're, if that's not your first language, and you earned it. I mean, uh, some people would say, well, that's, you shouldn't have to earn a citizenship, but you, you might not, you shouldn't have to, but it sure makes it mean something. And it's worth a lot more to you personally when you go through that process. You know, and I hate to admit this too. Um, well, not that I hate to admit it. I guess more or less, I hate to bring it up because I know people just get so polarized when you mention things like this. But why is it that the left end of the political spectrum tends to try to weaponize people's hate against each other and people's distrust of each other. And they almost wield it like a weapon rather than something we should try to get away from and solve. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, and, and they always want to present this perception that America at large is just anti-immigration period and not that we're, you know, anti-illegal immigration. Right. So when we look at people that immigrate here fairly and, and, like you said, that's a great story, right? When someone comes here um, through the proper channels and builds a better better life for themselves, I believe when you look at the Statue of Liberty, I mean, that's what Lady Liberty is there for. She's got the torch, so tell you where to go, where to come. Like, what is it? We, we'll take your poor, we'll take your sick, we'll take your hungry. You're like tired. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, you're tired and hungry. That whole, you know, uh, look it up. All of the, uh, the history of the uh, Statue of Liberty, it's, it's really, you know, humbling. Right. But ultimately, yes, our country was founded on, you know, the ability for people to assimilate to our culture and become a part of the American you know, mixing pot of culture. And there's nothing wrong with that. All right. I want to share a story that now this happened down in Florida. I saw this pop up on social media a couple of days ago, and um, it's definitely really cool to hear. OK, and this was just on April 11th. So just like uh, Matt said, I wanted to sort of back up what he said to show you that. People aren't anti-immigration, okay? Uh, students line up in the halls to celebrate a lunch lady's new citizenship. Mm, the yeah. video is going viral, and for good reason. Take a look at this gesture. And this was at a, uh, a school down in Florida. And they all lined up the halls. And as she was coming down the hall, they were all telling her, you know, welcome to America. And, it, you know, it may seem like just a small gesture, but people still teach their children from right and wrong, and they still teach their kids. And these were young kids here in this video. No, elementary school. Yeah, elementary yeah. school. So you're still taught that, like, when someone goes through this process and this effort, and they, you know, you're, you're taught to, well, you take the test, and you pass it, and you receive something, right? And the lesson that it's teaching those kids is that if you work hard and you want to, you know, 
get the knowledge in and do really good on your test and get a good grade, you're rewarded for, for it. Something good happens when you pass the test. So it's teaching an important moral and principle-based lesson to your kids when you go, hey, you know, here's a person that anyone can pass a test. Even an adult has to pass a test. Here's this lunch lady that wanted to become an American citizen, and she went through the process. So it teaches good morals and principles, and it teaches very American principles. That, That's hey, right. there's a process for everything. As much as some people may not like it, we're a nation of laws. It is what it is. And there might be a lot of laws I disagree with, but we are a nation that has processes. There is a process to enter this country. There's a test to take. You have to, I mean, you have to go through the process, but once you go through the process and you become a citizen, a lot of people, it's like being born again for them, you know, and, and that's a humbling that, thing. I you, think that's something we should foster that environment, you know? We, we totally should. And you're right. It's like you're starting your new life when you get that. And, you know, my whole family, my wife's family uh, immigrated from Hong Kong. Same thing, had to go through the uh, immigration process, my wife and her brother, so we are. I am very familiar with the process. Uh, I'm very familiar of how it feels when you uh, when you're when you succeed in that process. Um, now, con- contrast that with what's happening now, and you know, just when you're thinking about asylum and refugee as a status. So, what you see now are uh, people claiming refugee status, but refugee is not. A refugee from being poor or a, from low economic status in your country. A refugee would be like Syrian refugees, Afghanistan, Iraq refugees. You're fleeing war or asylum, persecution, both religious or political. Those are those are statuses that you can legitimately use to get your foot in the door, there's still a process for that. You still have to go through a legal process. It's not like, hey, welcome to America, you're claiming status. It's, hey, asylum or refugee. If you use those correctly, um, it's definitely a way to get to the U.S. You, again, go through the process, take the test, do everything. You're vetted, actually, a little bit more seriously, especially when, you, and when you're claiming those statuses. There's a lengthier term as far as research. They do uh, check on you every couple of months, make sure that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. You have to hold a job, all this stuff. So um, what it comes down to is you cannot just cut the line. If As an America first uh, ideology or practice, if you're going to follow the letter, you have to follow the the law, the letter of the law. And for us to, as a country, I feel to do, to, to cheat those that have been in line, because there is a queue of people that want to come to the country that have been waiting for years. It's not a quick or easy process. How do you think that makes them feel? They're still living here in the U.S. as green card holders, but they're getting they're getting cut in line because you know there's people claiming refugee status from being poor or from a low economic status that i mean and it's unfortunate as it is but letter of the law like you have to make sure that the people that put in the work are are still taken care of i find it so interesting when people talk about the letter of the law and the rule of law and the united states law and that we're a country of laws and that's true I, you know, it's not a lie to say that, but I'd like to maybe go one step deeper. I think that when you look at a system of laws, more appropriately, we have a constitution, 
Right. So the Constitution is the supreme and ultimate law of the land, period. So That's right. the way I've always approached it is our Constitution and our Bill of Rights and all of our founding documents were written upon the premise of natural rights being very much protected mm-hmm. uh, in every way possible, right? So when you have a set of laws, and Zelda's upset upstairs, but yeah. I don't know if y'all can hear it's her barking, but um, it's, it, we're good. But when you have this system of laws um, that is set up in the way that it is, it's done under the premise of natural rights. So if something, a political ideology or anything other than America first, I mean, all right, some negative political aspiration that you don't agree with. Well, if the policy isn't America first, well, what is it? If it's not in line with the Constitution and it's not in line with, you know, that system of our laws, it being the supreme law of the land, well, then what is it? Because it's definitely not America first. Right. And I think there's a lot of confusion around that. When someone hears America first, they it has a negative connotation with it. And I don't think that's the case. When I hear it, I think that just means that, you know, the, the country needs to look after the countrymen first. It's, it's something that we should be looking at as a country. And hopefully in the next three years, uh, we'll get somebody that agrees with us. Absolutely. I mean, no matter how you look at it, it's just, you know, it's not an easy solution. It's not an easy thing to talk about. And I, I know that some people tend to view the discussion of immigration, especially illegal immigration. It's a very, you know, hotbed subject matter uh, in today's political environment. And a lot of people tend to not be quite as skilled at the concept of arguing over or considering things that they're uncomfortable with whether it's the perception that they're uncomfortable because they really are. A lot of people are told to be uncomfortable about something because this society tows such a strict narrative in regards to a certain subject matter. You're expected that, oh, well, this is a taboo idea. This is something that nobody talks about. Like only this group of people should talk about this because, oh, that's too politically sensitive for me to bring up in subjects. That's what it is. They and get, they're sensitive. They're sensitive to, yeah. to it. So. You know, the problem is when you discuss immigration in such an open way as Matt and I just did in this podcast, people tend to get polarized by it, but for no reason at all. Like, there's no real reason for it. People should have the ability. I mean, we have the First Amendment right. You should have the ability to say what's on your mind. You are responsible for what you say. That's right. You can yell fire in a movie theater legally. Yeah. Now, if someone really falls can. down and breaks their ankle or hurts themselves trying to run out of there uh, or someone gets hurt, well, you are obviously still uh, responsible for your actions of what your words caused. You can say what you want, but you are responsible for the actions uh, that result from what you say. And I think that society has really lost its ability or has never even really, you know, um, garnered too much the ability for people to speak their minds in an open and fair and concise way and look at the facts from just a, you know, neutral point of view, you know, all right, I don't know how I feel about this. I'm going to listen to this side. I'm going to listen to that side. And I'm going to use my logic and fact gathering and my instincts to go, all right, this either is a good idea or isn't. And then you draw your conclusion and you move on. That's how you solve problems. You have to look at both sides. When society uh, creates a situation where they are willing to get spoon-fed the narrative by one side that is obviously a politically biased side towards one side of a political situation, and in many times, uh, one given side of a given issue. Um, it just creates a real ignorant populace that is not willing to look at the, the both sides of the equation. 
it it is a very very hard conversation to have in this day and age, and I don't I don't know why. I'm the, uh, when you talk about immigration, automatically people kind of tense up. They're like, oh, I don't want to talk about that, even between friends, because there's this negative connotation with it having to do with race or um, you know nationalism, and people don't want to they don't want to have that conversation i'm the kind of guy where i will have any discussion with you about anything because i can't form an opinion about something unless i know everything about it i if you said hey what's your opinion on this and i don't know about it then i will tell you hey i'm i don't know too much about that so i need to find out and if that means that i have to have a conversation with you on your view to get it then i will Uh, i think the the biggest issue is that people aren't willing to think about and look at it with objective truth. So objective truth is, you know, true whether you feel or you're happy about it or not. So if you say, hey, up to 25,000 kids are coming across the border illegally, that's true. They're being kept in, you know, clear tent boxes, you know, 700% over capacity. This is also true. Now, that's objective truth. That means it is true. I'm not happy about that. I feel sad because you have a bunch of kids, you know, in these quote unquote cages, but you have to look at it like, all right, I can't make a decision based off of how I feel off of emotion. I have to make decisions based off of what's best for my family, what's best for my country, what's best for, you know, a number of other things, but most certainly I am not making decisions based off of emotion. That's probably the last thing that anybody should be making decisions off of. Absolutely. Uh, Well, that's probably going to wrap things up. I think that's a really good take there. Um, That's going to wrap things up for this week. We really appreciate you tuning into the podcast or if you're watching on YouTube, you know, thanks for uh, tuning into the video. Thanks YouTube. Uh, We post here uh, every Friday here on uh, life, Liberty and the pursuit we hope that you'll uh, tune in, check us out, go and leave us a great rating. Uh, that helps with our search engine uh, optimization and everything. And uh, if if you like us, if you don't, you know, well, maybe not. But <laughs> we Still appreciate all the good you. ratings and the, uh, you know, nice words that you guys leave to us. And uh, we will see you next week. Many more podcasts on the way. And uh, we are going to get into some great stuff. We are about to film and uh, record a wine flight. And that's going to be our upcoming one. There we go. All right, we're going to drink some wine. All right, get wine drunk. All right, have a good week. We'll see you guys next week. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to Life, Liberty, and Pursuit. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else podcasts are found. Be sure to leave us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate that. You can support us over on Ballistic Inc. by picking yourself up some merch. And remember, guys, dangerous freedom. Have a good one.